Chapter Sixteen of Eight Girls and a Dog by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A welcome invitation. With great presence of mind, Hester suddenly turned out the lights in the music room, and under cover of darkness, the girls scurried away. Mrs. Lennox, grasping the situation, led her guest to the parlor, remarking, "I allow my maids the use of the piano once a week. One can't be too strict with them." Besides, it keeps the instrument in better condition. Lady Pendered sniffed a little at this, and opined that the American customs were beyond her ken. As the services of the ladies' maids were required late at night, it had been arranged that Millicent and Helen should sleep at Mrs. Lennox's, but the other six returned to Hilarity Hall. Uncle Ned and Aunt Molly called for them at the kitchen door and it was with difficulty they repressed their merriment until they were far enough down the street to be out of earshot. Then all the girls talked at once, and as they had most appreciative listeners, the fun waxed high. Next morning, bright and early, they returned to the scene of their labors. Marguerite, armed with a huge, fluffy feather duster, posed anew before the peered glasses. Helen seated herself at a desk in the library, and though looking like the primmest and most industrious of all amanuensis, was in reality writing a letter to her mother. But the cooks and waitresses went to work and exerted themselves to the utmost to show those English sillies, as Marjorie called them, what an American breakfast in its perfection is like. She wants her hair frizzled again said Millicent, in tones of deepest disgust, as she went into the kitchen to fill an alcohol lamp. Well, it's lucky they selected you, Lamplighter, for that position. I couldn't have filled it. No, you couldn't even have filled the lamp, said Millicent, as she hurried to her uncongenial work. The breakfast was ideal, beautifully cooked, perfectly served, and appreciatively eaten. When it was over, Hester sat for a few moments on the vine-clad piazza that ran across the back of the house. To her came Lady Pendered, stepping softly and looking cautiously about her. "'You're the cook, Hester, are you not?' she said. "'Yes, your ladyship,' answered Hester, and not over-graciously, for she didn't like her countrywoman at all. "'Hester, I want you to go back to England and live with me. "'I'm sure you'd like your own home better than this savage country. "'And I'll give you a pound a week and found.' "'When Lady Pendered began her speech, Esther felt angry. "'But as she continued, the funny side of it struck the pseudo-cook, "'and she answered, "'I couldn't do it, no how, your ladyship.' I've a good home here, and hi likes me, missus, and I've not to be by way of livin' with the aristocracy anyway, but meaning no offence to your ladyship. After further useless attempts to persuade the superior cook to go home with her, Lady Pendered walked off in high dudgeon, and Hester flew back to the kitchen to tell Marjorie about it, in which was not altogether necessary, as that young woman had gleefully viewed the scene through a latticed window. Meanwhile, Lady Lucy, in her boudoir, was trying to persuade Millicent to enter her service, 
and that romantic purveyor of fairy tales was astonishing the english girl to her own mischievous delight i'd be glad to go with your ladyship she was saying i'm sure there couldn't be a lovelier lady to work for in all england or arabia your hair is just beautiful miss my lady i mean and of course my mistress could easily fill my place here then come with me said lady lucy eagerly i'll be very good to you you shall have every sunday afternoon out oh my lady you're too generous but it's no use tempting me thus i cannot go i fear to cross the wild and wavy ocean nonsense cried lady lucy is that all why there's not a bit of danger we'll go in the safest ship to float it isn't that my lady i fear not shipwrecks but sharks when millicent put on her deep tragic tones and gazed intently at her hearer she was very impressive and the lady lucy began to feel a trifle scared sharks what trash she said but she was fascinated by millicent's eyes nay my lady tis true a strange fatality follows all my family my great-uncle fell overboard and was eaten by a shark my second cousin was caught by a shark while swimming and my aunt's grandmother here her voice fell to a thrilling whisper went out for a walk in her garden and a shark came up out of the brook and bit off her left foot oh no my lady never would i dare the terrors of the briny deep tis a curse a fatal curse by this time millicent was stalking up and down the room waving her arms about tragically and groaning deeply ah my lady tempt me not to dire fate urge me not on an errand which would but lead me to my fearful doom fain would i serve so fair a mistress but alas it is not mine to choose my lot i am forever beneath a ban a ban a ban at this point mrs lennox entered and millicent at once assumed her ordinary manner though lady lucy was quite unstrung this could not be explained as she had no intention of telling her hostess how she had tried to lure away one of her servants and so mrs lennox came to the conclusion that her old friend's daughter was a very hysterical weak-minded young woman the morning wore away and soon after luncheon the visitors prepared to depart pretty marguerite was a little too much in evidence for a parlour-maid but she was so anxious to see as much as possible of the interesting english ladies that she couldn't keep properly in the background her reward was a withering glance from lady penderd as she drove away and an overheard remark that miranda's servants were all admirable except that yellow-haired popinjay but when the carriage containing the ladies pendered was entirely out of sight mrs lennox's manner underwent a decided change and the girls realized for the first time how much she too had been masquerading you perfect dears she cried let me kiss you the whole lot of you it was the most wonderful success and i rather think i impressed mary pendered with our american superiority in some ways at least girls i shall never forget your kindness you were trumps absolute trumps now listen to me my dearies i have to go to the city to-morrow to get a new staff of servants 
though I can assure you they'll never give me such fine work as you girls have done. But that was fairyland, and we must now drop back into a prosaic reality in the matter of housekeeping. Now this is what I want you to do. Go back to your cottage for a couple of days, then shut it up and come stay with me as my guest for the rest of the time you are at Long Beach. Oh, Mrs. Lennox, cried Marguerite, how lovely that would be. The housekeeping at the cottage was fun in some ways, but I'd far rather stay in this lovely home and not cook my own meals. Lazy Daisy, said Marjorie. But I own up that I, too, am a little tired of the working part of Hilarity Hall. And well you may be, chimed in Betty, for you did far more than your share of it. No, I didn't, declared Marjorie. But as president of the cooking club, I move we accept Mrs. Lennox's invitation with heartfelt gratitude, and that a copy of these resolutions be engrossed and framed and presented to the lady in question. Aye, aye, cried seven voices, and Mrs. Lennox beamed with delight at the anticipation of the frolics of these young girls in her somewhat lonely home. So the good lady went to New York, and the girls trooped back to Hilarity Hall and told Aunt Molly all about it. It seems a bit like a defeat, said Hester, who always liked to carry out successfully anything she undertook. Oh, no, said Aunt Molly. You have no special reason for staying in the cottage if a pleasanter plan offers itself. Take the goods the gods provide and be thankful. And I do hate to cook confessed marguerite it's all very well for hester and marjorie they can put a bone in a kettle of water and set it on fire and wag a bay leaf at it and behold a delicious soup but i follow carefully that grimy old cookery book get out all the utensils in the cupboard and stew myself into a salamander and then i've only an uneatable mess as the result never mind my pretty parlor-maid said marjorie some are born cooks that's me some achieve cooks that's mrs lennox and some have cooking thrust upon them and that's what we'll do after tomorrow now let's write up the annals who'll write up the annals of our sojourn at mrs lennox's said betty past or future queried nan oh past we'll all do the future ones when we get there let's leave the annals of the pendered party to do after we get there too proposed millicent we'll have more time and can do them better all agreed to this so hester took the white cap and said she'd wind up the cottage annals in short order which she did with this result of merriment and laughter of the jolly jokes and jesting of the boating and the bathing of the games of golf and tennis of the happy fleeting moments much must here be left unwritten of play so nobly written of the fine and clever acting of the stirring soulful music of the wonderful stage setting of the appreciative audience we can make but hasty mention of the masculine invasion of the gorgeous spread they gave us of our grief at their departure nothing can our pen betoken but we must express our thankfulness to our devoted neighbors uncle edward and aunt molly 
for their never-failing kindness and we must admit my sisters that we feel a trifle saddened as we leave a little cottage where so gaily we have frolicked ah the sadness of the parting ah the chaos of the packing ah the settlements unwilling with the butcher and the grocer ah the desolated cottage ah the sad and doleful maidens ah the weeping wailing maidens there there hester stop cried helen reading over her shoulder your machine has run down it's out of gear the spindle is broken stop i beg of you so hester stopped and would you believe it such a good time did those girls have at mrs lennox's house that they never wrote in the white cap again until after they had left long beach and returned to their homes and besides giving them the jolliest house-party they had ever known mrs lennox presented each of the eight with the dearest little shetland watch engraved with their name and the date of the memorable visit of the ladies pendered end of chapter sixteen end of eight girls and a dog by carolyn wells